I came back with the plan to head back out in 2020 and um, pursue professional football again. Um, I managed to get to Fiji where I worked with um, Ricky Herbert and just after that COVID struck, um, I pretty much got the last flight out of Sydney, I think it was, um, back into PNG just before the borders closed. And um, ever since then, I've sort of been stuck here, stuck back home. Um, in Papua New Guinea. Obviously, because you're back in PNG, you've been playing for Lay City in the National Soccer League. Um, but COVID obviously has been has impacted that as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, they've they've sort of resorted to a conference system because of um, a lack of vaccination and these COVID nineteen protocols that um, the government has set. Um, so that sort of complicated things a bit. We unfortunately had to resort to having two different conferences where we stay in one area and play but um, that's the challenge we face now yeah and uh for you Kassete based over in Sweden um you obviously had that injury but you've been on the comeback trail for a while now so how are you feeling yeah I'll start there yeah um my recovery's been pretty good from the ACL um surgery and so I've been able to ski and train as much as been possible um over the last year uh obviously Living near a ski resort, it's a big tourist area. Um, so the ski resort closed down in uh, April 2020, uh, which curtailed skiing and training opportunities, which was difficult. Um, and then actually in December 2020, I got COVID, um, which had obviously quite a big impact on my uh, uh, preparation for the 2020-21 season um and that pretty much kind of wiped out the beginning first half of my season um i didn't get it severely but it still was not good <laughs> uh, i was in bed for about a month and it took me about a month to recover physically and then obviously in that time i lost a lot of my pre-season conditioning um so i was always playing catch up last season after that do you feel now that you're fully over it because i know a lot of people have talked about long COVID that some people have suffered mm. that it's you know even people that are super fit it can you know really drag on and impact them for months and months to come. I have generally been quite lucky with that although I have had some lingering issues with my taste and it's been very mild it's not you know compared to some people I'm very lucky in that my um, long-term symptoms have been very very minor. Um, and I think that's something that's probably quite important to talk about also is that it's not just about death. It's also about lasting uh, sickness from, from the virus itself. Um, and one thing about the vaccine, um, which has been good, is that it has helped my long-term symptoms. So my taste has improved since having the vaccine. Um, and I recently had my second shot. So I'm hoping that it will be fully back soon. And of course, you're living in Sweden, which of course has taken a, a different approach to many countries around the world and has been uh, the topic of plenty of debate. What's it been like for you living through that? Uh, it's been very difficult. Uh, I think particularly as lots of people here who have connections to outside of Sweden have had a, a broader view of the pandemic. I think within Sweden, a lot of people kind of look inwards at what's happening but people who um, have family or are from another country um, kind of have taken more of a view of 
that it's something that we want to do to we want to try and minimize. Um, I think the policy here has been very much to allow um, the spread of the infection at a kind of optimal pace. Um, and that's meant that it's been really unavoidable for a lot of people to, to become infected, sadly. Um, and that's meant the levels of long COVID and lasting sickness have been very high in Sweden. Do you know how you got it? Or like, can you pinpoint as to where you probably got it in December 2020? Yeah, so um, we were very, very careful. We were essentially living in our own kind of private lockdown, even though things didn't lock down completely here in Sweden. Um, and we were very careful about seeing anyone uh, and our interactions, partly because my partner was also pregnant for most of 2020. Um, so we know there was one person we saw indoors in that week. Um, and we know that we got it off that person. And, and it was only for a very short time. It was for about 15 minutes we saw that person. Uh, then the next day that person became sick. Um, and then shortly after we became sick. Uh, so it was quite, um, it's, you know, it's very difficult when you spent a year more or less being as careful as you possibly can, avoiding the, the virus. And then, you know, 15 minutes and it's all that hard work is kind of gone. And you said she was pregnant for most of 2020. Yes. So our child was born um, in late May of 2020 so we yeah i've had the challenge of being a new father that's one of the good things that's kind of come out of it as well because we've both been at home for so long so we spent a lot of time with our our young child which has been nice being a new dad has that affected your views or, or changed your views or, or made you have stronger views in terms of how you view this pandemic and, and you know thinking about that next generation um definitely i think i mean you know one thing is that we, we vaccinate children as much as we can against various things. And for me, it also kind of felt uh, hypocritical almost that I would vaccinate my child against, uh, you know, the various things that we, we, we vaccinate them against, hepatitis or whatever, polio and stuff like that. And then for me to not get uh, a vaccine for something as, as serious as COVID. So Elwyn, so here you are in Papua New Guinea, um... The Prime Minister saying that, you know, you can't force people to get vaccinated, but saying very clearly that if you don't vaccinate, you might die. Um, and, and so obviously the government there is trying to encourage more people. I think it's about 1% of the PNG population at the moment, roughly, that is currently fully vaccinated. So you're uh, you're among a very elite yeah. Uh, uh, group. Yeah, the situation here is pretty lax. And I and I believe it's a lot to do with, we. it's hard to tell, but we haven't really had that high rate of death or that high rate of infection that we've seen everywhere else and that's led a lot of people to believe um you know there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there or the belief that we are somehow immune um to that extent but um yeah it's a lot to do with the fact that it hasn't really hit us here and that's also got to do with a lot of things like the lack of testing um and basically just going undetected we probably had way more cases than um, that had actually been confirmed, but um, a lot of that information has led people to believe that it's not really that big of a problem here, and that has led to a big hesitancy, and not to mention the um, social media space where there's tons of misinformation going around, and 
you know, I've, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you've heard about the whole coin stuck on the stuck on the arm where you get vaccinated and stuff like that, and um, and it's just it's just a reflection of what, the society here that's you know basically doesn't trust the government, doesn't trust anything, and um, that's the word of the land here. How do you change that mindset? I know, you know, as a footballer, I know in Fiji, um, Roy Krishna among others, some of the sevens players, the rugby players have been used um, in government campaigns. Either they've been vaccinated themselves and, and encouraged mm-hmm. the public to do so. Uh, is that something they've done in PNG with either the footballers or maybe your rugby league players to, to try and get that message across or, or any something like that? Um, I wouldn't say that many people have, uh, the government has really gone out after sporting icons to really drive the message. But I've seen recently players like Justin Olam and, in in the NRL, he's he's a big personality, and he's come out publicly in the media to encourage people to get vaccinated. Um, apart from myself in football, I don't I don't know anyone in football here that's sort of come out, but um, it is it is um, coming from us. It does help, and I've seen that um, amongst my teammates in the team. I mean, we've we've had probably three or four, uh, two or three different workshops or information sessions, and they're still quite hesitant. And I think after I got it. I actually had a few bad guys come up to me and say, oh, I probably want to get it as well. And um, I just explained my reasoning and it was enough for them to um, seriously consider getting vaccinated. And was it easy for you to get vaccinated? And, and how did you come to that decision? The early stages of the vaccination that came out um, back home, there was a list that sort of went out and my father, I think, was, a, was on it. And he sort of said, hey, if you want to get vaccinated, there's an opportunity here. Um, at the time, the Malta opportunity was on the cards as well. So I just thought it would be good, good to get vaccinated, considering with all the travel restrictions around, it might help work in my favor to get vaccinated. Not only that, um, just thinking about the parents and all the people as well, just to safeguard them. So those are the two big reasons that I initially got vaccinated for. And I tried to explain that as best as I can to as many people when I meet to explain why I got vaccinated. Like, do you even know how many of your teammates are or aren't? Um, no, I don't know if they've gone. Well, I'm 100% they haven't gone yet, but um, you could definitely tell that the tension was a bit eased, um, whereas before I got vaccinated, there was this, this very tense atmosphere, people talking about, like, legs growing or, I don't know, all these different conspiracy theories that um, or beliefs that they held. Um, and I could definitely tell that after I had vaccinated, they were a bit more comfortable to talk about it and a bit more ease. And they even came and asked me, you know, maybe where can I get vaccinated, that kind of thing. And it's important, actually, my brother actually got vaccinated just recently as well after I had done. So um, after he got vaccinated as well, it, it sort of is even more tension in the team. Yeah. Is that F- Felix, is it? Felix, yes. Um, Kasete, in terms of your competition, you mentioned that obviously the resort got closed down and whatnot. Is is there competition happening at the moment? Um, and how, how is it being managed, if so, with all of the COVID you know, restrictions? There are competitions happening at the moment, although they're quite limited. And obviously with a sport like alpine skiing, travel is essential. So costs have shot right up um, and it's really expensive to travel now. Um, so I was due to compete in the world championships, uh, last year, uh, sorry, earlier this year, and I was unable to compete because the costs were just too high. 
I think for the big teams like the USA or Austria, where they're traveling around in their bubbles with all the resources they have, it's, it's easy for them. Um, but for a small team like ours to suddenly set up as a bubble and, and take time off work and all the quarantining we would need to do, we couldn't afford to do that. <clears throat> so sadly, I was unable to compete at the uh, World Championships in Cortina. So I think, I mean, that's going to be the big challenge in the up and coming season is being able to compete outside of Sweden. Um, and even here in Sweden, we've seen um, outbreaks at races in race hotels and things like that. So races have been cancelled um, and it's been very difficult to compete under these circumstances. So when does the new season start? <clears throat> Uh, so it should be kicking off in November uh, in Europe. And, and what will you need to do to get to Beijing? Uh, so I need to get under 140 points in giant slalom uh, to make it through to, to qualify for the Olympics. And ordinarily that would involve traveling a lot uh, to target specific races, perhaps in different parts of Europe. Sometimes it's... Uh, very hard to compete um, in places like Austria or Italy, the traditional uh, alpine skiing countries where competition is so high. So it's better for us to travel to slightly more further afield places. And, and what's it been like for you? Obviously, the Summer and Winter Olympics are different, but um, watching the current games in Tokyo unfolding and you know, athletes pulling out, you know, on the on the eve of races, athletes not going over there because of COVID, just the general restrictions, no fans, and I guess putting yourself in those shoes and imagining what it would be like for you in perhaps a similar circumstance in China. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of heart-wrenching, I think. Um, most of all, I think, you know, the, the Olympics is a, a spectacle. Uh, it's really, you know, without fans in the stadiums, uh, that spectacle is definitely diminished. And then also for athletes who have trained so hard and so long to then kind of have the, the opportunity compromised, um, it's, it's very difficult. But I think we have to also put that into context of, of what's going on um, in terms of, you know, people's lives around the world as well. So, you know, it's a difficult situation for everyone, I imagine. But I think, you know, the people who are able to compete, they're, they're very lucky and, uh, yeah. Good luck to them. In terms of your vaccine and your uh, shots, um, Cassetta, was that easy for you to get? And, and how did that process go? And was it an easy decision? Uh, yeah, so um, we actually got vaccinated in the UK because they hadn't reached our age group in um, Sweden uh, at the time that we left. We've been able, lucky enough to be able to travel here um, back to the UK to see my parents so they can meet their granddaughter for the second time um so that was you know been a big priority as soon as as soon as we could um and of course the uk has had a lot of vaccines um so we were able to to get vaccinated over there at the first opportunity and i think we were very conscious of the fact that going to see our parents or my parents um, and friends staying with my mother for example who is uh, over 70 now that we didn't want to put them at any greater risk we possibly could so that the vaccine was very important for us to get it as soon as we could to make sure that our families were protected on the off chance that we did contract it again i think it's also important to say that like even though if you have had it once that we don't necessarily know how long 
uh, immunity from antibodies or T cell reactions lasts. And there are lots of people who have been infected more than once and many people who have been infected without symptoms. So, you know, for safety and peace of mind to get the vaccine to ensure that, that our, my family and my partner's family um, were protected as much as possible was an easy decision. Uh, we've also had uh, several people close to us who have had it very seriously as well. Some people who are undergoing treatments for other illnesses who are at significant risk. So it was important to us to to do as much as we could to to minimise any further risk for those people. Elwyn, you mentioned that obviously the testing rates aren't particularly high in PNG. Do you know people either within football or just in and around lay or, or family or whatever that have had COVID? Yeah, um, I've had um, a few mates that have um, had COVID. Um, one had a particularly bad experience. Another had a not so bad experience, but uh, I do know people have had it. I know people also overseas have had it and that's a big reason as well why I started to get vaccinated because I've also heard firsthand from them how bad they had it. And um, yeah, the people, I even know a doctor who, because he's been a mate of mine who's been overworked so much and because he's exposed to it, or he actually caught it twice. Even though there's evidence here, they have people who get it, there's a lot of mistrust in um, the signs and symptoms and mortality rate of it that has, again, led people to not really take it seriously here. What would your message be to people that are hesitant um, or people that are on the fence or, you know, whether it's in Papua New Guinea, Owen, it's in Tonga or Sweden, Kaseta, it's very much about vaccinations around the world at the moment, trying to, you know, I guess, um, outrun the, the Delta variant at the moment in particular. Um, and, and in the Pacific, there is a lot of hesitancy. So, um, what would you say, what would your message be to somebody in that position? We'll start with you, Alwyn, and then, and then go to Cassette. Um, I'd say um, trust your um, health health authorities. Um, no one's forcing it upon you, but do your due diligence and trust 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 the, the trusted resources that are available. Um, I think there's enough information going around that's um, from health authorities that is valid. And um, I think we can all come together and try to get back to normal. Um, I think the faster that we do that, the faster our lives can return to normal and we can get fans back into the stadiums here as well. Yeah, I would say um, I think there's a lot of focus on, on death. And I think it's important to remember it's not just the risk of death, but the risk of long-term illness, which is perhaps even greater than the risk of death. Uh, not just in old people, but also in young people and children. Um, so I would encourage everyone to, to get the vaccine and anyone who has any... Um, questions or, or issues I would say the same as Owen that they should speak to their, their local doctors and health professionals for advice 